2: Eden, and I am joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera.
0: Chura, Sam. How's it going?
2: Very well indeed. Now, we were just talking before we started recording about the meaning of your name. And I thought we could yes. talk about that just now.
0: Oh. <laughs> so Ma is Mawira Karatai is my father's great, oh, my father's grandmother. She was Mawira Taiaroa and she married a karatai, lucky woman, and uh, so she became Mawera Karatai, and she um, she's buried next to my sister in the Urupā at Utako. But um, so Mawera in kaitahureo means um, it's a, like changing clouds. So if you look at a cloud and you see it in a in a certain shape, you might see a house, and then you look back and that has changed to a different shape. So Mawera describes that transformation of cloud shapes. So and when you ask...
2: When you ask questions about hope and imagination, well, you're, you're yeah. there already, changing cloud inevitable. shapes. <laughs> and was sorry, and, be Cara- doing that. and Karatai.
0: <laughs> and Karatai uh, means crest of a wave. So that beautiful part of the wave, um, just as it smashes down and makes the big noise, and yeah, that all the potential. I always look at the crest as having all the potential. So yeah, I feel like I'm a really aptly named person. <laughs>
2: So I'm gonna imaginative potential. Doctor imaginative potential.
0: (laughs) Doctor imagin that's better than Doctor Sausage, which I'm usually known as around here (laughs) from cooking sausages at the mountain bike park.
2: (laughs) And who are we introducing
0: today? It's my great pleasure to introduce Angela McLeod and um, listeners who have been following this series will remember that we spoke with Alice in our last interview and Alice has connected us with Angela so thank you Alice. Uh, Angela is an uh, City councillor in her third term. Uh, uh, She's the manager of policy leadership and development at Rural Women New Zealand which is um, so significant especially in our rural communities like Whakatane where our women need so much lifting to be able to be their best selves in, uh, in, a, in often isolated communities. Um, and so with a background in policy, communication, research and leadership, Angela, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. Thanks for your time today.
3: Oh, kia ora, it's no problem at all. Kia ora, Angela. Where are you, Angela? Uh, I'm based in Upper Hutt, which is a little bit north, kind of northeast, I think, of Wellington, the capital.
2: So we've Not been far. asking, we've been asking people how their bubble life was, and then we started to have to ask people how their traffic light was, and now it's traffic light phase two or something. So, how's your bubble traffic light phase two been going?
3: Okay, well, I have to say, um, my bubble was fantastic. Um, and the reason, the reason I say that is because um, my husband and I, Mac have been well his Mike, but everyone calls him Mick. Uh, we have been uh, AFS host families for some time. And so we had our 25th anniversary in the first lockdown and we had family come and visit us from overseas. So we had our first AFS daughter from Argentina arrive in February and we had one of our later daughters from Guatemala arrive in February about a couple of weeks later to spend our 25th anniversary with us. Only trouble is when they landed, (laughs) um, (laughs) we went into lockdown. So we were stuck with them. So uh, so we had six of us in our household, plus we had our friend, uh, who's our neighbour, very close by, um, with two uh, lovely young children, and who was also included in our bubble. So we had a fantastic time. There were so many projects finished outside. We have a lifestyle block, so we had, you know, vegetable gardens were built, steps up to the shed were built, um, we had cattle yards built, we had, you know. <laughs> No, I mean, I guess the only downside of it was I had to work and I had to work from home. So it, w- it was quite hard sitting in the office, you know, um, doing the rural work when everybody else was building vegetable gardens.
2: And had the, the, they must have left eventually. Did they go home?
3: Oh, yes. So, so sorry. Yes. So the Guatemalan couple left um, just short of a year. So they left in the October they managed to get flights home uh, the Argentinian couple have uh, managed to get work permits and partner permits and so they now actually currently work with us at our business
2: well, that's cool so-
3: so so they are i think i think they might even be looking at residency but anyway they are uh, on a work permit here yeah uh, in our business and it's lovely they don't live with us though uh, they moved out probably a year ago and they have their own little um flat in uh, upper hut so so mac and i are home ourselves <laughs> with extra water tank capacity and cattle yards and vegetable gardens
2: <laughs> so good did come of the pandemic so, oh, absolutely. Mm. so in your policy work, your rural women policy work, what was going on uh, for that during the, the lockdowns and beyond? Well, for us,
3: it was about supporting rural communities with with how they were um, managing that lockdown. Interestingly, our rural communities in New Zealand do have a high resilience. And interestingly, a lot of the communities where we have members are used to living off isolated or at least partly uh, a couple of observations and um, we did a lot of information around where to find uh, all the information online with the Ministry of Health, you know, the government uh, information. We, uh, we, we were connecting with the members often. Uh, we have a, a printed magazine called Expresso, uh, Express, which we changed to Expresso and had little wee uh, publications of that, you know, to, and more often. We... Um, did a lot of work talking to the Office of Seniors and other government departments about what was happening in rural New Zealand. Uh, But a lot of our members do know how to live without that town influence, if you like. Uh, A couple of stories I can tell you is that we are involved in a group called the Rural Education Reference Group, and uh, principals were telling stories about you know, their children, and working from home. And so what they were saying was for their students, some of them were saying, well, actually, you're going to be spending time with family and you'll be learning a lot of things on farm. Uh, you know, just come back with some learnings. Uh, others were uh, trying to get them to work online. Now, the the issue that lockdown showed for us in rural communities was the lack of access to technology or decent internet so there were a lot of children that couldn't do that online learning because they just, they just didn't have access to the reliable internet. So one principal, for example, was saying how she needed special dispensation from the Ministry of Education to go back to her school, to go into her office, to have online discussions with her teachers and some of her students because she didn't have internet connection at home. You know, so so that sort of thing showed up. But essentially what we were doing was, you know, supporting rural communities and supporting the government and understanding those rural communities.
2: How are the rural communities doing now? Oh,
3: pretty good. I think the prices are good. Uh I think that there's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people and that goes for rural communities, especially with children at school. I mean, people, children have already started back at school and, and and I know in my local area anyway, there are um, students at the colleges at least, are, you know, are COVID positive. So, you know, there's all that sort of a thing. I, I have to say um, that I think, and I, and I said it earlier, our rural communities are pretty resilient, uh, and and I think that they will, by and large,
2: cope. Good. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Dire but, Straits' Water of Love. Why this one?
3: Oh, okay. So this one because uh, I used to do ballroom dancing. So So years ago, when I was little, so from about when I was 10 I did about 7 or 8 years ballroom dancing study and uh and one of the dances that I really liked was in the latin genre it was rumba and samba and cha cha now whenever i hear the song i just think it's absolutely danceable and and I have to admit that, that, that one of the dogs that we had in our family used to join me in dancing for the song. Uh, and we would put it, I would have it really loud, you know. And, and when you hear it, you'll understand what I mean. There's really a, a lovely Latin feel to the song. And it's actually really positive. And I think the reason I chose this song is because I think actually sometimes we just need to dance. And, and, and we would do that on occasions in lockdown and I think that sometimes people need to understand the music is actually one of those elixirs of life and we just need to dance and this is incredibly danceable.
4: I need-
0: While our rural communities are incredibly resilient, oh my gosh, we are. We are very resilient people in rural communities. There's also a lot of hardships that we face that city folk don't have to worry about, such as things like isolation and um, a lack of connectivity in the digital and in the physical world um, and um, resources not getting to us. That's a big issue that we're um, having every time we have a flood, all those kind of things. How can we build um, that resilience uh, and more capability in our young ones because they're the ones I worry about at the moment like as grown-ups we're incredibly resilient, how can we build that in our kids? Mm,
3: good grief <laughs> Just, just do with a silver ball right now, right? So, um, so <clears throat> I think it comes down to us as people and What I find really interesting is that I think a lot of our rural communities, the children in our rural communities are resilient. And the reason that I think that they are is because they have a whole lot more responsibilities in their daily life. And for those that are asking, how do we do that? I think that that's the answer. It's interesting because you were asking me earlier about music that I enjoyed, and one there's one particular song that I was thinking of that is a Tom T. Hall one, but it's not one of his classic hits, and it's from nineteen the early nineteen seventies. Yes, I know that ages some of us, uh, but it talks about you know children growing up and moving away. And you actually have to think before you place the blame. So I just think part of that whole resilience of building up our young people, our rangatahi at the moment, is around actually understanding that rural life builds that in them. So give it to them. So let them go out and play for the day. And then like my cousin was telling a story at an event she was speaking at, where she knew she had to be home by dark. And one of the reasons she knew she had to be home by dark is because she had to go through the bull paddock. But you see, you don't want to go through the bull paddock at night because, you know, that's just dangerous. So there's all that kind of planning and thinking and strategizing about how you're going to get home without being knocked over by the bull in the dark. So, you, you know, I think that those things that we need in, in, uh, in our children today, give it to them by, by, by giving them that space to learn on their own, to, to do those mistakes. I mean, you've got to be safe. Kids have got to be safe. I don't mean, you know, that you should let them go on and, and, and drive the the big quad, the big, you know, 450 quad when they're 11 years of age. I don't mean that. I mean, you know, other problem solving, resilience type skills. And having, having an animal to look after teaches that kind of responsibility and understanding that actually you know, a young calf needs to be fed every day of the week, regardless of whether it's raining or stormy or you know, you want to go to the beach with your mates. Sorry, mate. Calf needs feeding.
0: It's um it's funny you should talk about that. Um my my eleven year old, twelve year old son will kill me probably for for telling the story, but I recall coming home from work not so long ago when the favourite of all of his hens died. And oh. I found him in a puddle of tears and You just don't realize that how that love relationship between children and their animals, even a little old hen that he had, you know, got from someone else who they'd had just formed this relationship. And there is something about that, isn't there, that rural kids have that town kids don't always have is that opportunity to learn to to have a love of an animal and to be loved by the animal.
3: And grief when they lose them. And that whole understanding of how the cycle of life works, that circle of life, what what is that movie, um, uh, The Lion King, you know, that circle of life, That that is how it is. And I think that when you're involved with animals for that length of time, you, you know, hens don't live much more than 10 to 15 years maybe. And so in a child's lifetime, they're going to learn that loss.
0: Yeah. And, and, then and then- how to manage it. Mm. And he also learned that if you want cake, you have to feed your chickens so that they give us eggs, so that I can make cake. Yeah, it's a pretty, really important life lesson to learn, isn't it? Yeah. If you want cake, feed your chicks.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Yep. The circle of life. Yep. Yeah. How
0: do we? How do like we live in town, but I but I raised in the country, so I've got that mindset. Hence, we have chicks in town. But yeah, how do we get? How do we get our other town-based kids off their devices mm. and having those connections? How do you, re-
3: Can we do that? Is that doable? Oh, absolutely! I think it's doable. I'm not an expert in that space. I can't help you, but what I can do is I can put you in touch with somebody where you can have that conversation. Uh, Catherine Burkett has done a TED Talk on exactly that: um, how to get children off devices, uh, and so. Um, I think it's important. I don't know the answer. Um, I think that, uh, you know, maybe pets is a good thing. Uh, you know, maybe after-school activities. I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, Mawera. I, I don't know the answer. All I know is that it can be done, but you need to speak with the experts like you.
0: Oh, that's, that is fantastic, because that gives us an, another person for us to interview, and, um, and that's great. I appreciate that so if you if you had a magic wand that you could wave right now to fix any problem that will sort of start the tidal wave of positive change in the community what would that problem be that you would fix simple question
3: yeah sure it is (laughs) oh i like simple questions and you're asking me in a weekend and i have all the answers uh so um you know i think it might be that resilience one that you ask and i think that what it needs is resource so I think that in communities we have people who are struggling and we don't have enough resource to support them. We have um, children that are struggling with their mental health that have to wait six weeks at least before they have somebody that they're able to talk to. We have people that are living in motel units because there aren't houses for them. We have people that are struggling to purchase food and, and they need, you know, food banks we we have lots of issues that are community based community issues that can be fixed by the community but also actually need resource and yeah we can talk about resilience um community spirit those sorts of things but actually in order for people to to gather i guess to gather the community in in, in, and and give them a bloody big hug and I don't mind if we share that, but I don't care about swearing about that. But but y you, you, know, you know, our communities need a bloody big hug. Yeah.
0: We have um and, here in the east, here in the Eastern Bay Plenty, of course, we had the Edgecombe floods, um, mm. followed very swiftly by the disaster at Fakari, followed yeah. very quickly after that by COVID. And this is a community that just keeps on trucking along, but you can certainly feel the need for that bloody big hug yeah. right now.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: Bubble sprite of the forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favorite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie.
5: Kia ora koutou, namu arohanoui kia koutou, Ko ho. Hope you're all happy stable superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together, proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more on each day, who you are. A triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here, making things better. Now I know for all of us, as we journey together and we learn together, there are so many moments of uncertainty and unknowing, And this can be unsettling and this can take a toll on us, particularly when faced with being in the midst of a global pandemic and having to learn new ways to do BC feel as best we can. And of course, for me, I'm so grateful that I can be part of the show and share my moments of enthusiasm and insight and connection with you all. I feel that's such an important part of who we are as a species. And of course all life that we co-evolve with alongside in an infinite web is contributing at all times. Having been frolicking about paddle boarding and taking part in a TV show, I've been really learning a lot of new things about myself and doing my best to really connect and support those around me as we have to do things in new ways. One of the most important gifts that we can give one another of course is compassion and understanding, is forgiveness and empathy, to give one another the time and space to grow as we need, to heal as we need and really to share that appreciation and joy can arise in us within our hearts when we can allow it and of course for me something I've loved for so long is working with children working with young people and I know the joy and the benefit comes from this mutual spontaneity and play and fun that we can remember those parts of ourselves and heal them we can give that inner child the chance to laugh and and share whilst creating a safe and supportive environment for our young people to flourish in I haven't been able to do so much of that work because of the midst of the global pandemic. However, I have been learning new ways to support our young people with videos and resources. Whenever I do encounter those that I used to encounter almost every day, such a thrill and real sense of respect and admiration for those young people moving forward in our world how lucky we are to have had the lives we've led and how strong and resilient they are to be living theirs. I hope that we can always communicate, we can always find commonality and strength with one another. I hope that we can always come together to share in whatever format that might be because that sharing is so precious. And in this way, of course, we can remember that we're all eternal, we're all ageless, we're all timeless. That's part of who we are too. And in connecting with that eternity and that infinity, of course peace comes to our heart and we are back home again. So I really hope for you, whatever connections and adventures are helping you at this time, whether or not their modes of being have changed, you're still able to find those ways to come back home and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Ka
2: you're yep. listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Angela McLeod.
0: So, Rural Women, as um, an organisation, you guys do some pretty great stuff out there. Tell us about what you're what you're doing in that work.
3: Right. So we have uh, scholarships and grants available to people to do different things. I don't know them off the top of my head. Uh, but there are some that are educational grants. There are some for, you know, second chance education type things. There are those that are wanting to go to university. Uh, there are some pretty good scholarships in place uh, to support that. And one of the things that we are really good at is that whole community spirit. And you, you talked about Fikari. Well, uh, you know, our team... The rural women, New Zealand Bay of Plenty team got together. They put a huge, big parcel together for the uh, first responders, emergency workers that don't necessarily, um, you know, get remembered. Um, you know, so St John, uh, the emergency department at the hospital, uh, they took a big parcel of goodies into them. You know, those sorts of things. Um, we do just a matter of that's how we do it. Uh, Edgecombe, I don't know uh, exactly what we did there, but we probably made up food parcels or probably did casseroles, you know, those so- sorts of things. We actually did those, that food pulls and holds communities together and uh, sometimes that's all that's needed when you're busy is to have, you know, a casserole on hand. Uh, so those are the sorts of things we do. We also um, do events around the country where, you know, different uh, rural women New Zealand members group together, maybe they, it might be branches and they do events Or one of the projects that we're doing at the moment is around O is four. And that's about ovarian cancer, all the five gynaecological cancers that exist, and the fact that they are poorly diagnosed or late diagnosed. And you know, we've got women dying every day from cancers that are curable if we just knew what they were when we started with the symptoms. Uh, you, you know, there's a whole lot of work needs to be done in that space, and we've been, you know, doing a big pro- big project around that. We also uh, we also share our lived experiences and our knowledge and our thoughts to government uh, at Select Committee to talk about those issues that are facing rural New Zealand and suggesting solutions. And two major solutions that we always come down to, uh, you know, it could be something quite practical, um, but also around having a rural impact analysis or rural proofing of any policies or or, um, or programs that are put in place, because how are they going to impact a rural community, but more also about gen- a gender impact analysis, because if you look at how, uh, how a, a policy or a, or a program might impact on a rural community, look at how it might impact on women, because women are the, one, are the people that hold, the, the, they're the glue that holds the community together, they're the ones that turn up, we, we had a, an example as we had one of our regions put together a whole um, stack and I don't know how many off the top of my head, I'm sorry about that, fruitcakes a, a whole bunch of fruitcakes they were $10 fruitcakes and took, got them sent down to the Canterbury farming community with the floods, you know what a basic kind of Thing to do um, that meant that people could have a cup of tea, have a piece of fruitcake with their cup of coffee and their breaks, you know, and that whole big, you know, stress and clean up from that. So, those are the sorts of things that we do. We have the air of select committees, I have to say, and government departments.
0: Thinking about what you're talking about before, about the uh, five gynecological cancers, we know from um, our biplenary planning minister, um, Keritapu Allen, yes. um, exactly that. For She had the symptoms of her cancer for a really long time. She successfully ignored them for a really long time. And it wasn't until she happened to mention uh, some symptoms casually to a colleague of hers who said, actually, that doesn't sound good and you need to go and see a doctor. Yeah, and um, she thought but, she
3: was exhausted
0: <laughs> yeah and she was <laughs> yeah. but just like that i mean we're lucky that we still have her around because it was yeah. pretty close to that you know it was pretty close to saying goodbye to a really beautiful human yeah. being because so, as so women we just tend to ignore these things we're busy yeah. doing other things
3: yeah there's two levels to it there's the women themselves and there's the medical fraternity so not only do women have to think, oh, something's not quite right, but when they talk to their medical team, the medical team says, oh, yeah, okay, I hear you. So so I know that, the, you know, I, I don't know how prevalent it is now, but, you know, with the whole endometriosis thing, there were doctors saying, oh, you know, it's in your head. Well, we can't have that anymore. We absolutely cannot have that anymore. And and some of these women are telling us stories that it's the fourth visit to the doctor before the doctor goes, oh, oh, there might be a problem here. <laughs> so, you know, you're right. I mean, Kelly really, she really did um, uh, uh, pinpoint, you know, a lot of the issues and and good on her and I love her dearly uh, and this is a it's a personal love. <laughs> uh, we're lucky. We
0: are very
2: lucky. I'm going to squeeze in what I think is an appropriate song. Well, you chose it. Cab Mo, Put a <laughs> Woman in Charge. Why this one? I-
3: Oh yes well um I heard about this because actually when you have a look at how we've done as a nation uh, and how we have done as a nation since what was it 18 mm, somebody's going to crucify me 1893 whenever it was that we won the right to vote and it was a fight so we won it um yeah kibmo kibmo is a is a, a very cool relaxed kind of style of country blues kind of southern usa kind of country steel guitar and yeah we just need to put a woman in charge (laughs) at all levels I think New Zealand has done very well and I know that there are people out there that that don't like the Labour government and um, certainly at the moment there are quite a few people expressing their concern about the Prime Minister but honestly, you know, I don't think we will have done as well and when you have a look at the statistics about the countries that have done pretty well um, through the COVID lockdown they've all been um, women leaders and and I think uh, anyway, discussion for another day I just like the song
1: The women. In-
2: Angela, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last couple of years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick?
3: Uh, Well, what I hope will stick is community connectedness. It's a big word, that. Uh, And it's a big word in a lot of ways. And what I saw in our local community was people looking out for each other, looking after each other, uh, you know, rallying around to make sure that everybody was uh, looked out for, looked after. And I hope that sticks. Uh, We really need it to stick. We really need the whole food resilience, food security thing to stick. Uh, And, um, yeah, we do.
2: What can we do to foster stickiness of that?
3: Hmm. That's a very good question. What can we do? Uh, Well, I think at some level we need to come down from our political high horses and um, need to understand that whatever we do should be based around people. And... I think that we, if we were to, and I mean we, as in like everybody, I don't, and and I, you know I include me in that, and and I I don't want to, um, you know, upset the people that are already doing this by saying we need to, and and there's quite a few people are doing this, but I think as a collective, we need to understand that actually it's people first, because if you've got people first, you've got people first in houses, you've got people first with clothing, you've got people first with food, you've got people first with learning, uh, you've got people first with looking after each other. I, th- I think that if we, um, you know, quite a few people just always want to put it around politics or resources or whatever. I just think that if we changed our our raison d'etre, I guess. Well, I think as humans, our raison d'etre should be people first. Uh, if you put people first, the planet has to come along with that because the planet is our sustenance. Uh, and so when you put people first, uh, the economy has to come along with that because, you know, we need the, the the economy to get by. Of course, you know, we could have a whole nother discussion about, about the financial Uh, markets and the the financial climate and what we do with that. But uh, that's what I think. I think people first.
2: What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and our response to the pandemic for those bigger sorts of questions? You're hinting there towards sustainability without saying it. For things like climate change and social justice, can we take something from the pandemic for those?
3: Um. Yeah, I I think one of the things that the pandemic taught us was that even though humans uh, uh, do need to connect with each other at a face-to-face level, there are still ways we can do that without that. What we have to understand is that not everybody has access to technology uh, or the ability to have the, those, those connections, uh, you know, n- not face-to-face. Um, but I think that if, if from a climate change perspective or social justice perspective... Surely, um, if we start thinking about people first, and there are people that that had the time to learn things in that in that lockdown period, because they had nought else to do, <laughs> except maybe play patience with their cards, or was patience still a thing? Solitaire, probably. Uh, you know, or um, or <laughs> navel gazing, for want for, for of a better term. Uh, you. You know, what if the research they did or what if we were on board with that whole discussion with people in that space around climate change, around social justice, you know, and putting people first? Maybe 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 some of us have lost it because we didn't think it quick enough about engaging people
2: that were sick of making coffees. Did the messaging that we had for the pandemic, and I suppose still have, but in particular the Be Kind message, the team of of five million, did that resonate with rural communities?
3: Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, I think so. I think the kind one certainly did, um, because because when I was saying before about, you know, rural communities are resilient and look out for each other and look after each other, I think they did that. I think that there were some challenges with that. Uh, you know, there were people where, uh, you know, where families lost loved ones for some particular, you know, uh, as in death, uh, you know, weren't able to have people to come on farm and help. There were pregnant, um, you know, mothers-to-be and uh, who, were, uh, who struggled because they couldn't, you know, because they couldn't burst their bubble. Uh, I think that there's some learnings in that space uh, but I think that um, on the whole I think that being kind um, you know that's quite a good thing to explore because uh, I think there's probably still some people that think that being kind is a weakness when actually it's not And um, but I think rural communities have their resiliences based on that kindness, they might not see it as kindness They might see it as as being um, supportive of each other, rallying around each other. But essentially, that's being kind.
2: I have some questions to end the show with, and not very (laughs) much time, so we shall have to rattle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years?
3: Oh, well, in lockdown, because I was worried about people, you know, connecting, I I bought Zoom. And I did um, online cafes. So I had online cafes on a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Saturday and Tuesday was early in the morning for those people that liked to get up early, you know 7, 7.30, that's not early early, that's in farming speak, it's like, <laughs> that's a sleeping. Um, but, uh, but But you know, for 7.30 in the morning I would do and then Thursday was 4 o'clock and that's kind of like, you know for a lot of people that's kind of wine or beer o'clock so that would be kind of you know, a happy hour kind of a thing. And then Saturday morning, a lot of people do the cafes at 10 o'clock on a Saturday so Oh, I had a, that's one of the successes I had. We had such random discussions and, <laughs> and some really great community, you know, connectedness came out of that. It was, it was fantastic.
2: We're writing a book of these conversations. It's, it's called Tomorrow's oh, Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? Oh, really? Oh,
3: <laughs> what's my superpower? My superpower, I care maybe. Maybe my superpower is I'm quite a large person and so I just think that my hugs would connect the whole community. (laughs) You know, like I'm, you know, five foot eight and I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh, but I'm big. Maybe my hug is, I know, because I'm a swimmer, so I know that, you know, my span is (laughs) pretty good span. I can hug quite a few people. Maybe that's my superpower.
2: I remember... When um training beside daniel loder and they oh, measured yeah. his they measured his span and 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 it was like thirty centimeters on each arm longer than mine. It was just ridiculous yeah. how tall was he six foot four or something was he uh, I'm not sure I don't think he's that tall it's more like six two or something I think
3: yeah, so your span is often wider than you are tall mm. if you yeah my father is that my father has has a wider span than he is height mm. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's not a superpower. <laughs> that's physiological. I, I mean, you know, I guess I guess I connect and I engage, and uh, and I can ga- engage with lots of different people. But I think that's because my superpower is probably probably the empathy, because I because I put people first. Because I've been in some situations in my life where I've learnt that actually walking in someone else's moccasins is not a bad thing.
2: Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh yeah. What for?
3: Women, communities, and since sustainable farming.
2: So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
3: Oh, bloody hell. Um, uh, because I can. Uh, because <laughs> if I don't, who will?
2: And what challenge? That, or... that,
3: might, that, might sound, that might sound egotistical, but I'll tell you something. I am a victim of a head-on collision, and when I woke from the accident and had and head one major operation while I was in that kind of um what do you call it you know your body's in shock space so I don't have a memory I wake up from a I woke up and it was black when I woke up so I had come out of like a, almost I guess a coma kind of a thing I wasn't in the coma but I don't know if you understand what I'm saying so for me um for me there's a the universe has put me here for a reason so i get out of bed because i want to change the world for people and i want to change the world for women because i've learned that they are the most vulnerable internationally as well as nationally but i also want to change the world for communities because i think what's happened with the way that governments over time or leaders over time have looked at economy and not looked at people or they've looked at housing and actually not looked at people if you know what I mean they've looked at something physical uh, instead of actually something that can be tangible if you looked at it the right way I get out of bed because because the alternative is not great I get out of bed because um because I can, because I have the skill set and the knowledge and experience to do it, I will go and fight for somebody in the select committee room with MPs I have spoken, um, I have protested on the steps of Parliament I have spoken at those protests, protests and I have led protests and all because I can and if I don't, who will and, and maybe that's my superpower, maybe my superpower is actually you know, you give me an issue and, and, and I will tell people about that issue and I have absolutely no qualms about doing it, but the universe put me here for a reason.
2: So what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two?
3: <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to leading my community in a different capacity. Uh, I know that this might sound like a launch, and I don't want it to sound like that. But uh, I did run for mayor at the last election, and I was close. And so uh, I, I am um, pretty much, or well, I'm thinking about doing that again. Uh, I think that um, you know there should be more women in leadership, and um, and I and I really don't need to sound that feminist. Um, you know, kind of, it doesn't. It, this is not a feminazi thing. This is, this is actually the reality. And uh, we do need more women in charge. And, um, and I can do that. And that's about putting money where my mouth is. And uh, that's a challenge. And the challenge will be if that if that's not successful, what else is there in the world that I can do to change it? So when uh, I wake up on Sunday after the elections and, and, and I've not been successful in becoming mayor, or if that's indeed what I end up doing, you know, then what else can I do to change the world?
2: And lastly, do you have any advice mm-hmm. for our listeners?
3: Yeah, just do it. Just when and you know it's funny that whole thing is that you know of all the challenges that I have faced and they've mostly been physical you know I've had I don't know in that first five years of rehab after my accident I think I might have had about 13 or 14 you know orthopaedic operations Um, it is what it is just do it it is what it is you know uh, you know it might not be your government that's in there it is what it is you know just there's kind of this kind of zen you just do it because if you don't who's going to
2: thank you for that mawera
0: i think you might be my activism twin <laughs> <laughs> yeah and there. there's like this core cool group of us in the world and we devote our lives to making things better for others and taking on people's challenges and and fighting the good fight and um I'm really glad that you're one of those people and thank you for committing your life to doing all of that and for the change that you make and um, and all the best for your mural campaign and and for the journey that leads up to that day and for everything beyond it. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for joining us.
3: Kia ora. Thank you.
6: There were signs beside the road like Jesus says And relieve yourself the fast and gentle way I was looking for an old man who lived way back in these hills Who just might have a story I could tell Pretty soon the blacktop disappeared I felt the car change to a lower gear I took a drink of liquor just to chase away a chill I was 27 miles from Olive Hill Ahead I saw the bridge where I turned right A dirt road led straight up a mountainside I pulled up to a farmhouse I thought I had seen before An old man and his dog were at the door They told me this old-timer knew this land I told him, sir, I just don't understand Why the kids in this state just grow up and move away And leave the land where they were born and raised said, son, you can't make it on this land Unless you're happy working with your hands There ain't no kids today that want to stay and work it out They want to see the things they hear about He said, I cleared this whole farm off myself I'd work it now, but time has got my help. Then staring out the window, resting in his easy chair. You've been listening
2: to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces here. around the world. Brought to you by the you Sustainable Son, Lens Team, which is brought to you by a Tiger Polytechnic. We're broadcast on a Tiger Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Tom Waste T. Hall, Kentucky, February 27, 1971. I'm Samuel Wayland, so Bay Dunedin with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and we've been joined by Angela McLeod in Upper Hutt
6: of my hand Glowing bubbles.
2: We hope you, you enjoyed the show.
6: But I guess there ain't no song here after all.
0: This podcast was produced by OrFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.